0: Well, happy Easter, ACF Church. We are so glad that you are with us here today. Wherever you're tuning in from, uh, all parts of the world, all parts of the United States, we just want to say happy Easter to you. This is a big day, the day of all days as we celebrate that Jesus is risen. And so how we're going to start off this morning is is kind of the way that we start off many Easter mornings is we kind of have a a, a response that we do together. And so I say, he is risen, and then you say, he is risen Indeed, okay, so wherever you're at, I know it's maybe a little weird if you're in the car driving, if you're in the house, you might even like open a window, right, because maybe some neighbors are from ACF, and then you'll, you'll say it together, it'll be great, you'll find out you have some neighbors from ACF Church, and so let's do this together as we start off celebrating Easter together today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's it, he is risen indeed, and that's what we are celebrating here today, and so wherever you're, you're tuning in from, we just want you to know that we love you. Uh, that we're in this together, that we are part of the same family uh, walking through this whole situation that we find ourselves in together. If you are in Naknek, Alaska, if you are somewhere in Prague, wherever you're at across the world, just know this. We love you and we feel like we're part of your family. Also, if you just found this stream online, you don't even uh, know what this is about. Maybe you're just looking for the next episode of Tiger King or whatever. Are you watching it? Um, I'm not watching it. So uh, maybe that's you, but just know this. We have some things we'd like to share with you today about Easter that I think um, are going to maybe change your life if you let God speak to you. And so this is really big stuff. Um, A few things about Easter. Uh, First of all, we know that this is the time of year that a lot of people tune in or come to church that don't normally come to church. Uh, The Christmas Easter crowd, right? We call them the Creasters, the Creaster people. We love the Creasters, the Christmas Easter crowd. Uh, And if that's you, I love that you're here. Uh, Easter is all about maybe a couple of questions in your mind. First, um, is this the day that changed everything? Or honestly, is this just a a thing people have believed for years just uh, to get them through the hardships of life? Is this just sort of like a crutch for weak people? That's something that a lot of people struggle with. And we come back to three things about Jesus himself, three questions about him. Like, who is he? We come back to this every year. First, is he a lunatic or is he a liar or is he Lord? Those are really the three options when it comes to Jesus that we are confronted with every Easter. Is he is he crazy? Is he lying? Or is he actually the Lord of the earth? And so that's what we come back to every single Easter. And I actually think that this year, in 2020, this might be one of the most significant Easters of our entire lives. Uh, this is really, a, it's a different Easter. You're sitting in your home. Uh, we're here filming. And, and everybody's celebrating Easter in, in kind of isolation, which is a really different way to celebrate it. And the reason that I think it's so significant is because it forces us to ask some really big questions about Easter and about what we believe. And here's the question that was rattling around in my head this week. If I was completely alone in my belief, what would the resurrection of Jesus mean to me? If I was completely alone, stood alone in my belief, would the resurrection of Jesus still define my life? And for you wherever you're at, maybe somebody typically drags you to church, you know, maybe you come to church occasionally for the holidays, but here, you're at home. Nobody's forcing you to do anything. And the the gathering of the church is shut down for now. And so we're all kind of forced to deal with our faith at a, at a personal level and go, is this real for me? Does this mean anything to me apart from all the people around me? Because let's be honest, sometimes we gain some spiritual momentum from what other people are doing, from the other people in our lives. And so without this crowd of people, does any of this mean anything to me? And so we're all forced to deal with the reality of our own faith this Easter, which I think a really big, important thing. And so wherever you're at, if you've got doubts, know this, that that Jesus is for you. This is for you. Uh, If you feel like you're weak and maybe you've uh, made some terrible mistakes in your life, Jesus says this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And so if you are sick, if you're going through some hardships in life, know this, Easter is for you. Jesus is For you, And so in the face of all these significant challenges that we're walking through right now, I actually think God wants to make the empty tomb more significant and impactful in our lives here this year than he ever has before. I really believe there's like a spiritual awakening happening in our world. The people are waking up to the deeper things of life. You've got some time on your hands. You've you've maybe had some time just to kind of think about who you are and, and why you exist. And because of that, on a global scale, I think God is waking us up. To his presence, And so I honestly believe this Easter, through the struggle, through the suffering, and through the challenges, that he's going to show himself in some new and profound ways. And the truth is this, that God's love is seen most clearly through the lens of sorrow and suffering. And, and we've all experienced sorrow, suffering, struggle in our lives. And, and when we walk through sorrow and suffering, God's presence and who he is and his love is seen most clearly in those moments— I read a quote this week. I'm not sure who said it, but this man said, It is by suffering that God has most nearly approached to man. It is by suffering that man draws most nearly to God. So we see through suffering, God becomes man. God takes on the flesh of a human, becomes Jesus on earth. Jesus is the God in the flesh, and then he lives this perfect life, and then he ultimately suffers and draws near to us through suffering. In the same way, through our suffering, we draw near to God. We see God and know his love in some new and profound ways. I love C.S. Lewis. He says it this way. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And isn't it true that right now I think God is sort of rousing a deaf world through struggle and through suffering? And so what about you? Are you suffering right now? And, and maybe have you asked yourself these questions? Should it be this hard? I mean, should it really be this hard? Should it really be this difficult for me? Did I deserve this? What did I do to deserve this struggle that I'm going through? And, and I ask myself this question a lot. What do I need to learn to get through this? Like, God, what are you teaching me? How can I learn what you're teaching me so that I can just move on through the suffering? I just want to move beyond it and get back to my life. Uh, There's this guy named James who is the half-brother of Jesus. And he speaks to these Jewish converts who are being persecuted for their faith. And he talks to them about the suffering that they are experiencing right now. And he says this in James chapter 1 verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. For some of you, today more than ever, your faith is being tested. And I just want to talk about James for a second, because he says some things that that kind of rub me the wrong way, honestly. He says this, count it all joy when you're suffering. Can we be honest and say, what kind of guy says that? Like, what what kind of guy says, hey, you're going through difficult times, I know it's hard, but just... Just feel joy, right? I mean, I I think for a lot of people in the world, they're like, that's why I don't like Christians. They say stuff like that all the time. They just say, hey, just, you know, count it as joy. Like, how can somebody say that to me? James has obviously never been in traffic on the Glen, right? James has never run out of toilet paper. Uh, James has obviously never been dumped on Valentine's Day, right? James has obviously never been married, right? Because you're nearly married, Mason. There's some struggle. Yeah, there's some struggle in in marriage, right? And some suffering as much as we, we love marriage at the same time. It's a struggle that's part of life and it's not always joyful. And James says, count it all joy. And so here's the question. How do you do that? How do you count it all joy in a cancer diagnosis? How do you count it all joy in a divorce, in the loss of a child, in losing your job, in disease, in financial struggle? How do you count it all joy? Well, let's keep going. James gives us us more wisdom in this. He says, when you meet trials. Now, trials are tests. And and trials are a good thing because faith isn't real until it's tested. He says, it's not a matter of if, but when your faith is tested. You're going to go through some trials. Trials. And it's actually a really good thing that James says this because I think most of us wish our life was easier or think it should be easier, right? And this is really a a death sentence to the prosperity gospel, right? Which simply says, hey, follow Jesus and you're going to get a really nice car, maybe a house with a view of McKinley, and then God's going to drop like a bunch of Zoom stock into your account right now, which had we all known, right, we would have bought... Some Zoom stock, right? This is not the gospel, right? He says you're going to experience trials of various kinds, a lot of different trials of of different stages in life. You're going to go through difficult times. So consider it pure joy when you meet these trials. I love that he says count it joy. Count it, it's a mathematical term that like I've done the math and as I consider my trials, and I consider what God's going to do in my heart through these struggles, I actually think it's worth it. That's what James is saying. Count it all joy. It's worth it to go through the struggles and the problems and the trials and the suffering because there is something that it is producing in our lives. He says it produces steadfastness, perseverance, patience in the waiting. This isn't plastic religious smiles like put a happy smile on your face when you're going through difficult times. This is James saying, as you struggle, there will be resurrection in your life. There will be joy that comes out of this. Henry Nouwen says this. He says, to refuse suffering is to refuse growth. And can we just stop as a culture and just as friends today and just say, we're suffering In a variety of different ways right now. Can we lean into this moment instead of acting like it's not hard? And I really believe that that's where God meets us. In the darkest moment of history, Jesus arrives to earth. He shows up as a man, dies this brutal death for us. And then is resurrected to show us that there can be life through the struggle. And so we have to acknowledge that it's hard, it's difficult. Jesus was talking to his disciples before he was crucified, and he wanted to let them know it's going to get difficult. It's going to be hard, and he says this in John sixteen twenty. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. What's he talking about? He's talking about his crucifixion, right? He's like, I'm going to go to the cross and there's going to be sorrow and there's going to be fear. You're going to wonder what you did in following me. Like, did you waste your life? But that sorrow will turn to joy. What's he talking about there? The resurrection. That I will come back to life and defeat death. And so here's the big idea. Don't miss this today. That sorrow always leads to joy where Jesus is Lord. Sorrow always leads to to joy where Jesus is Lord. Jesus conquers the biggest enemy of all humanity, which is death, right? And we all kind of fear death a little bit and we don't know what's coming through death. I mean, I think that the deeper question about death is not so much like what's it gonna be like, but this, what comes after death? That's what we really wanna know. That's the question I get as a pastor is like, hey, what's coming for me after I die? This is an important question to ask. And I wanna talk about this for just a second. Because life is full of trials, as we just said. But what the scriptures say is that after this life full of trials, we actually experience one last trial. This is what the Bible says. In Acts 24, it says this in verse 15, there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And so whether you follow Jesus or not, whether you're faithful or not, the Bible says there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a return of you. And so in this resurrection, then what happens? Well, for those who made Jesus Lord, we stand before God. And for a lot of people, this is kind of a scary thing to consider, right? Like, have you ever just thought, like, what's it going to be like when I stand before God? What's he going to say to me in that moment? There's some fear involved. Like, what—I've always imagined, like, an IMAX movie screen, right? And, like, me and me and God are going to sit next to each other, and we're going to watch this highlight reel of the worst moments of my life. That's what I've always thought it's going to be like. Just terrible, Right? So no wonder there's some fear in death, but that's not at all what the Bible says. For those who know Jesus, Hebrews 9, 27, it says this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You get that? So Jesus already dealt with your sin. Like God's gonna get no joy in going, hey, let's just watch a highlight reel of your worst moments. This is not what's promised to a believer. That's not what's gonna happen after we die. It's a little like this. So as a dad um, with kids, Josue, you've got some some little ones, right? Do you love just going home? Sometimes just seeing those little guys and just like, man, they're so excited to see you. I love after being gone for a long trip. I come home, I'll see the curtain get pulled away. I'll see their little eyeballs looking through there and and I'll come in the door and and there they are and they'll come up, all three of them, they'll just hug my legs. And I just love that feeling that they've just been waiting for me to arrive, to embrace me, to hug me, to receive me. And this is what's promised for a believer that when we move from this life into the next, that God is waiting to receive those who are eagerly waiting for him. He's waiting for us, to save us, to bring us into this new life. Once again, sorrow always leads to joy where Jesus is Lord. When Jesus is Lord of your life, there will be joy. And you might not see everything healed in this moment, but it will be healed in the next. There might not be resolve in this broken relationship here on earth, but it will, there will be resolve in your heart in the next life. So that's our promise. So those who knew Jesus will know joy, but the other part of this is that those who didn't will not. So not all sorrow leads to joy, right? I mean, sorrow leads to joy where Jesus is Lord, but we know in this world that we live in that there are parts of the world and parts of our lives and and people, maybe some of you, where Jesus is not Lord of your life, and this breaks our hearts. For us as Christians, we want no one to live without the hope and the joy of Jesus. For some of you, your sorrow has led to bitterness. It's led to pushing God away, pushing the church away, pushing other uh, believers away, and you just want nothing to do with it. And that's everyone's decision, but scripture's clear about what's coming for those who aren't in Jesus in the next life. Revelation twenty eleven. this man John has a vision of what this is going to be like. He says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and the one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and there were open books and one of them was the book of life and the dead were judged according to their deeds as recorded in the books. And so I'm going to kind of nerd out you out on you just theologically here for a moment. Scholars call this judgment the Great White Throne Judgment. And this is not a judgment for believers, right? Our names are already written in what's called the book of life. It's a judgment for those who reject Jesus, who walk away from him and spend a lifetime apart from him. And he says, basically, you're going to stand before God after this life of trials on a final trial, a test of who you really were. And your name is either going to be written in the book of life or it's not going to be written in that book. And this throws people off because it says the dead were judged according to their deeds. And and so I don't want you to hear that and think, well, maybe if I just did enough good, maybe if I just kind of got my life together, got my act together, then maybe I'll make my way into heaven. Jesus is so clear. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, not by works so that no man would boast. There There is no salvation. For those who simply do good things, only by the grace of Jesus are we saved. And so your name is not going to be missing from the book of life because you did something bad in high school or because you made some mistakes in college or because right now, maybe you've got some struggles or addictions that you're not dealing with. Your name is not going to be absent because of those things. Your name will be absent because you didn't simply surrender your heart to Jesus. He wants to invite us into his family. And so the primary question here won't be, did you make it to church on Easter? Because we all didn't make it to church on Easter, right? Did you go to church at Christmas, right? That's not going to be the primary question. The primary question is this, what did you do with what you knew? What did you do with it? You've heard the gospel today. You've got people around you. Uh, We as ACF Church want to support you and encourage you and share the good news of Jesus with you. There's really no excuse for any of us today. We've, We've been told what's true, that Jesus loves us. He would do anything, even to the point of death, to be in a relationship with us. The question that you will be asked, that I will be asked, in the moment of eternity, is what did you do with what you knew? Jesus Jesus You make the darkness tremble Jesus to this moment on the cross where Jesus is being hung there between two criminals. And as we just read, sorrow always leads to joy where Jesus is Lord, right? And it says this in Luke twenty-three thirty-nine. it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, being Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So the first thief, he calls out to Jesus, and he says, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. And the first time that I really studied this, it it messed me up on a theological level because I'd also read this in Romans 10, that for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so there's a tension, right? So this, this thief, he calls out to Jesus, says, Aren't you the Christ? Aren't you the Savior? Save yourself and us. But for this man, pride still ruled. Sin still ruled in his heart. And what I think is going on is this man didn't want to be saved. He just wanted to be spared. And I think there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between wanting to be saved by Jesus, wanting a relationship with him, wanting to know what it would look like to walk with him faithfully in this life, into the next, and just simply wanting to be spared. Now, I was reading that this week. And I just felt like, you know, I can't judge him, right? Because I think all of us have been there where we've wanted to use Jesus for what he can do for us instead of for who he is. I think we've all been tempted to do that, that we just want to get out of the pain. Can we get out of the sorrow? Can we get out of the suffering? And is Jesus my ticket to having less pain in my life? We already said that crucifixion is a death sentence to that kind of thinking and that kind of theology, that there will be pain, there will be struggle. This is really a last-ditch effort for this man, right? Um, I actually looked up the background of this phrase, last-ditch effort this week. It comes from trench warfare in the 17th century, where the last ditch was where they would fight the enemy. It would be the last opportunity for them to hold their ground would be in the last ditch. And so when they would use the word last-ditch battle or last-ditch effort, normally it was a fight, to hold on to their ground, and normally they would lose. And so I was thinking for this man, this is what this is. It's a last-ditch effort. It's a fight to the end to hold on to his pride and to use Jesus, not to be saved, but to be spared from the pain that he's going through. Verse 40, though, it says, But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Notice the difference in this man's heart. He's not defending himself. He's acknowledging his sin and that his suffering is partly his own fault, that he's caused some of his own pain. In verse 42, he said, And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me. In paradise. So, first thief calls out to Jesus, not to be saved, but to be spared, does not experience salvation. The second thief humbles himself before Jesus, calls out for a savior on a cross. Think about this this man had nails in his hands too. This man had been pierced for his sins, too. This man was being hung on a wooden cross, too, just like Jesus. And in this moment, he could see beyond his momentary afflictions into the eternal kingdom. And he called out for grace, for mercy, and Jesus gave in abundance. Is this you today? Can you see beyond your momentary afflictions into the eternal kingdom that Jesus promises us? And here's the crazy thing. He lived a terrible life. I mean, this man was a criminal. We don't know what he did. He may have been the worst person you've ever met, right? He says, I'm guilty. We're all guilty. And here's the scandalous part. Jesus says, you're in. You will be with me in paradise. Religious people hate this text, right? Because Jesus didn't say, hey, get off the cross, go do some good stuff, get back on the cross, then you'll see me in, in, in paradise. No, he just says, hey, because you have called out in humility for mercy and for grace, I will give it to you. You will be with me in paradise. We've got to ask this question, what kind of God would let someone off the hook after a lifetime of sinfulness? The answer is the same kind of God who would die for me and you. That kind of God. I read this this week. I thought this was a really important reminder. Jean LaRoe says this, if the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. We're really good at throwing shade. We're really good at judging others. And not many of us have the self-knowledge assessment we need to know that our sin is the worst of sins. And this moment was not a coincidence for this man. Um, this moment was tailor-made to put Him on a collision course with Jesus. And I want you to know that whatever suffering that you're going through, I believe that it is tailor-made to put you on a collision course with Jesus. I don't think that God's causing all suffering, but I do believe that God is using all suffering. That he desires to work through the suffering that you and I are experiencing in this life to put us on a collision course with who he is. And James says this, hey, if you experience suffering, cling to it like a gift. Grab hold of it. Because Here's why. Because any suffering that leads us closer, closer to God is actually an act of grace. As much as we hate it in the moment, as much as we wish we could get through the pain, it's an act of grace that God would use suffering to draw us near to himself. Here's the other thing I noticed about this man. Is that Jesus didn't release him from the cross, but he still knew joy. He's on a cross. He's being crucified. He's thinking about the next life, which blows my mind. How could you think of what's coming next? All all I would want is just to get out of the suffering. Instead, he thinks beyond his suffering, and then he knew joy amidst the sorrow. Think about that. On a cross, with nails through his hands, this, this man, this criminal, knew a certain joy that some people on this earth will never know. I mean, in the struggle, as he's waiting to move from this life to the next, he knew a certain kind of joy. God is always at work in the suffering. He's always at work in the waiting. And, and, and what, if he, what if this criminal knew a joy that you've never known because he was able to see Jesus in the struggle? I was thinking back to uh, when Amanda and I first got married Uh, We lived back in Colorado. We had this little house, and uh, it had a uh, carport. Do you guys know what a carport is? It's not like a real garage. It's like a little roof over uh, part of your parking area, so it kind of feels like a garage. And and I'm a mechanic, so I did everything in the carport, like changed engines out and fabrication and uh, mechanic work. And and one day, I'm laying out there underneath a car, and uh, I'm just, I think, changing the oil on Amanda's Tahoe, and so laying there. And then I hear this screaming from inside. There's a window right by the carport where the kitchen was. She's just yelling and screaming. And so I'm freaking out. I come flying out from underneath the car. I run inside and she's in there and she's holding her hand. And there's like blood all over her hand. And I'm like, what happened? There's glass all over the floor. The dishwasher's open. And she's like, I, I went to, to put a glass up into the cabinet and it fell and I reached to grab for it and it, and it cut my hand, right? And so I go over to her and it's just a terrible, the dogs running around like licking up, is is it bad. It's a terrible moment. But I go and I, I grab her, I give her a hug and I bring her over to the sink and you know, start dealing with her hand and then she just passes out. Which I don't know if you've ever experienced somebody passing out in your arms, but it is the freakiest thing because they start doing, they're twitching and moving around. And she's like, I'm like, my wife just died, right? I'm freaking out in this moment. And she starts to, I get her in a chair. She starts to come back to, and she looks me in the eye. And she goes, I think I'm going to pass out. And I'm like, you already did. You already passed out. But I talked to her later about that moment. I was like, why did you pass out? She'd never done this before. That She didn't have a history of, of this. And she said, you know what, when you came in, and you started helping me, I just knew that I was safe. And, and it's like all my, my inhibitions went away and I, I stopped just being in, in fight mode, you know, where I'm just trying to make sure I'm okay and my hand's are not bleeding all over the floor. And, and I just moved into this place of safety and security and I was able to let my guard down and I think I just, I just passed out. Right? And I was thinking that for all of us, you might be going through some kind of difficult situation, some kind of suffering right now. But here's the truth for you, that you don't have to be released from suffering to rest in God's kingdom. I think maybe we're waiting for God to give us freedom from what we're going through so that we can know that he's with us. And God's like, I'm actually with you in the suffering. You don't have to be released from the suffering. You don't have to be taken off of your cross to know joy in the sorrow. Right in the midst of whatever you're going through, you can know God's kingdom David, who's a man who suffered, who struggled, who had his own problems and sins and sorrows that he went through, he says this and reminds us of the promises of God and says this in Psalm 30. He says, You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. That's what David says. He says, you have taken my sorrow and given me joy. Turn my struggle to a testimony of your faithfulness. And right now, you have a decision to make, an opportunity to decide what will you do with what you knew? What will you do with the truth that Jesus suffered for you? Experience sorrow for you. So you might know joy amidst the sorrow. We actually believe that this journey begins with a simple prayer. It begins just simply by surrendering ourselves to Jesus and, and, and just saying, God, we, we know that we've been unfaithful. We know that some of our suffering is our own fault. We've been the cause of it. And then in that moment, we just we, we say, God, would you meet me in the sorrow and in the suffering? And that by his grace, when we let down our pride and let down our guard, he meets us right there and gives the free gift of grace. And that we can know right now, not when it's better, because we don't know when it's going to be better. But right now in the sorrow, we can know that God is with us. And isn't that what Easter is all about? That God meets us in the suffering, experiences the pain and the sorrow of death, conquers sin and Death, and as we read, the death has no victory, death has no sting for us anymore because we look towards an eternal kingdom and a kingdom with Jesus, a kingdom where all of these wrongs will be made right, and you and I once again will stand before God for one last trial, and He will simply ask us, what did you do with what you knew? Is your name written in the book of life? Are you part of the family of God? Have you freely received the gift of? of grace, or if you spent a lifetime acting religious. Have you spent a lifetime acting like you loved God? I love that he sees through our hearts. He sees through all the things that we say and knows who we truly are. And he's inviting us into that relationship today. So I'm gonna invite you to do this. If you don't know Jesus, or if you're somebody who is at home here today or in your car and you're just watching this and you know Honestly, uh, this has been a religious tradition for me for years. But if I was to be honest, standing alone right here, I would say that the resurrection is not the defining point of my life. If that's you, then I want to invite you to make that decision today. That right now you can change the trajectory of your eternity by simply going to God honestly and authentically and saying, I need you and I surrender to you today. If you do that, I'm gonna invite you to to just send a text to the number that's gonna be on the bottom of the screen here. Um, You don't have to do that. It doesn't save you. It's not a magic text number where like now your your salvation's more real than if you didn't. But what it does do is set you up to get some information and to move forward in your decision. Uh, We've all made decisions that we didn't move on before, right? Like I chose to get in shape. Never went to the gym, right? There's no movement in it, in forward motion. And so this is your chance to make some movements, some forward motion in this decision. We'd love to resource you with some things to help you move forward in your faith today. Can we just bow and let's just pray together just a, a prayer of surrender to Jesus this Easter morning. God, thank you so much that you meet us in our suffering. Thank you that you know the depths of our heart. God, you know the secrets that we've told no one about. And God, we believe that you knew those things in the past. God, you knew those things when you walked the road to the cross. God, you knew those things when they were putting you up before this crowd of people who were screaming at you, God. You knew who we were, and yet you continued to walk, to be crucified, to die for us. So God, we together surrender our hearts to you. In view of your mercy, God, we We know that you love us. We know that you've, God, you have died for us. And so in view of that mercy and grace, we want to surrender our hearts to you. So Father, I I just do that today with everyone who's watching. We surrender our hearts to you. We trust that God, in this moment, as we surrender our lives to you, God, not simply to be spared, but to be saved by you, God, that we step from darkness into light. God, we step from death into life. God, we know that today is the day that as we surrender our hearts to you, God, that we will be changed for all of eternity, God, and that we will stand before you with our name written in the book of life and that by your grace we'll be welcomed into eternity and we'll see you, God, and be with you in paradise as this man on the cross was. Thank you so much for your grace, God. Thank you that you love us. Thanks, God, that we aren't in this alone, but we have a community of people who are in the battle together with us. God, thank you so much that you meet us in the sorrow and in the suffering, that you've conquered death for us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.